Thank you for tuning in at Ravenna Assembly of God. We hope you enjoy this message and are blessed from it. If you want to tune in to more messages, log on to RavennaAG.com and search under the media tab. Thank you and God bless. Years, men and women have died so that we could have the freedom that we enjoy today. I think too often we forget about those kinds of things. And however, the enemy, as we all know, on the spiritual side of things, is a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. <clears throat> Over the next couple of weeks, I want to share with you the weapons of the enemy and how we, how we not just fight them, but how we deal with them. How many know the enemy has enemies? How many know... <laughs> How many know that the enemy has weapons? Not one, plural. And, and I say that because as we get into this and as we think about this time, I, I think most of us have known someone who has served our country in the armed forces. And, and I've often listened to different guys talk about their experience. One of the guys that probably impacted me the most was when I was a young pastor down in, in, in East Liverpool, and Charlie was his name. He was a World War II vet. And he used to share stories and, and sit down with me and show me his books and his collection. And these books that he had, he had pictures of himself that were actually in there, and he talked about them. He talked about the anguish. He talked about the, the one thing he, he dealt with the most that he always has dealt with was, was that he had a chaplain that was right beside him who was fighting on the bank, and the chaplain got shot and killed right beside him. And, and he continued to ask, God, why him? Why not me? And so he dealt with survivor guilt for a, for a long time. We walked through a lot of that stuff, but you know, it's interesting when you talk about their experiences. See, because it doesn't take long to realize that when you are in the heat of the battle, the enemy is going to do anything to bring you down in defeat. And, and, and not only on the physical battlefield, but it is also on the spiritual front lines where the enemy likes to creep around and lurk seeking to destroy us so that you and I won't serve God or do His will. If, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you need to understand and know that the enemy is not going to stop at nothing to prevent you from knowing God and living for Jesus Christ. He's going to fight you tooth and nail. He does this by creating a major conflict across the landscape of your life. You know, it might sound extreme, but Satan is convinced that if he can accomplish his goals, you will become discouraged, you will become fearful, and you will want to give up. A believer who is disarmed or discouraged, who has fallen into defeat is suffocated by guilt and shame. Those are the ones who are no threat to the enemy, no, no threat to, to, 
to the, to the devil. And, and once, that, once that is taking place, uh, understand what he's doing. He's specifically designed what he's doing to separate you from God and his blessings. Hello, somebody. And, and I say this because as we walk through this, it's interesting to understand that one of the tools that the enemy uses is something called fear. Uh, going back to World War II, there was a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. And, and he's standing there with the backdrop of London's bombed-out buildings have never been to Europe. And, I mean, they still have the, these huge places and buildings that are bombed out that were never built back. They're sort of as a reminder hills where tanks in different places lay. And, 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 and in that backdrop, Winston Churchill is, is stirring, he, he, he stirred the, the faith of a nation with these words. He said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never yield to, the for, to force Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Because if you go back in history, England was on the brink of a disaster. The people there had endured just, just daily air raids and bombings. And, and many of the, of the children of the city had been sent out to live with families that were on the countryside. Even strangers were taking the kids in to protect them. And what you had is fear that was filling the hearts of the people and, and would have overcome them except for two things. Number one, their will. And number two, their faith. The, the British people, along with their allies, of course, went on to win the Second World War. But not without serious loss and a lot of suffering. At any point, they could have caved into fear and given up the freedom that was incredibly precious to them. I want to just reiterate something here this morning as I get into this, and that is very simply, fear is a powerful weapon. Fear is a powerful weapon. It has the ability to prevent us from experiencing the blessings of God. It can paralyze us to such a degree that we lose our godly perspective concerning our circumstances. It clouds our, our vision for the future, and, and what it does is it leaves us struggling with something called doubts. When, when our lives are shrouded in fear, we, we can't even imagine the goodness that God has for us. That, that's completely out of our mindset. There, there are times in our own lives when the battle with fear seems to grow to the point where we, well, we just feel like we want to give up. And, and what may have started as just this little kind of subtle threat seems to escalate to a point of, well, it's serious warfare time now. And like the British people, okay, we have a choice. We can succumb to fear or we can use it to strengthen us in our walk with Christ. Look, whenever you place your faith in Christ, 
and become determined not to fall victim to fear, you're going to find that God gives you strength for the battle. Isaiah wrote this, and you have it there in your, in your notes. He says, God gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Then he goes on to say, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up on wings of eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Look, let's be real. If England had given in to the enemy, the world would have a much different look today. And the same is true for you and I. If we yield to Satan's words of anxiety and fear, our lives are going to change dramatically. Uh, look, a person, a fearful person, wonders what difficulty or, or, or situation is waiting for them right around the next turn in the road. They worry that something's going to go wrong. Oh, I just know something's going to go wrong. And it will be beyond their ability to handle it. They don't realize that when you're buying into fear, you have stepped on one of the most destructive devices there is. Fear. While there are trials, some trials may seem more than we can handle, but hello, somebody, they, they, are, ne they are never more than what God can handle. I, I love what the Apostle Paul says. He reminds us that faith comes by how? And hearing by what? Yeah. We must never, ever forget that the first step toward conquering fear is gaining truth and knowledge. When thoughts of fear come about, we got to make a choice based on the truth that we know. In our minds, if our minds, I should say, have, have been saturated with the Word of God, we, we will be able to discern the the, the, the difference between truth and fiction. A, a real threat from a perceived danger that's come along. So, some people, I love it, some people hear God's Word taught in church every week, all of their lives, but they never apply His principles to their lives. And as a result, when a threat comes, they, they feel all defenseless. They're not. Remember what Jesus told his, his followers? He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Hello? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're more valuable. That was so convincing. Look, let's be real. There are going to be times that we wonder whether God really understands what we're facing. And I can tell you, you can be sure that He does. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And He always provides the strength and the wisdom that we need for every situation. But, hey... You know, the enemy is watching too. He, he's, he, what he is, is he's, he's ready to, to just launch a fearful attack against your heart. But you don't have to become his victim, friend. You have a mighty arsenal at your disposal through Jesus Christ. 
In the book of Nehemiah, back in the Old Testament, the walls surrounding the city of Jerusalem had been torn down by enemy attack. Well, most of the people that were left or were taken into captivity at that time, and basically there didn't seem to be much hope for rebuilding those walls. But God stirred something in Nehemiah's heart to do the work. In those days, a wall around the city was all about protection. It was all about security. And without those, those walls, those fortified walls, I mean, forget it. You, you were vulnerable to the enemy's attack. And while Nehemiah went to work on the resurrection of the walls, his enemies also went to work. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, I get tired of hearing believers say, well, this is too good to be true. It's not going to last forever. Getting ready for that big thing to hit, right? Because things have been going so well. Well, see, here, here's the thing. They issued, the enemy there issued one fearful threat after another. Just kept coming, kept coming, like, like waves coming in and hitting on a boat. However, Nehemiah refused to stop the work. You can see that back in chapter 4 there. But God had given him a mission, and he wasn't about to cave in to fear. The enemy of your soul is relentless. Say that with me. The enemy of my soul is relentless. Say it again. The enemy of my soul is relentless. Friend, friend, he will push against you with words of doubt. And, And what he's doing is he's seeking to make you think that you are incapable or or that you have misunderstood the Lord in in some way. But friend, when 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 the enemies conspired against Nehemiah, Nehemiah's faith, I mean, he just held strong. And and he writes this. Check it out in your notes. We prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. He goes on then to say, our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, They will come up against us from every place you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, exposed places, and I stationed people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. When our enemies heard that, it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. Hmm. I want you to notice something there. Notice what Nehemiah did not do. He didn't panic. He didn't become fearful. He didn't become cynical, or he pack his bags and head back to home. He ignored the enemy's threats, because he had been given a mandate by God to rebuild those walls. Now, now you may, may, may sit there and think, well, you know, he knew what God wanted him to do. Hey, you, you can know the same thing. Hello? You, God's will and purpose for your life are not hidden, friend. They're not hidden. You do not have to guess about your future. 
if you will pray and seek God's direction, guess what? He's going to show you. He's going to provide it. Here's the thing. Usually, fear comes when we feel unsure about our circumstances. Fear comes when we don't quite get it. We don't quite understand it. We don't, you know, it's, it's like dark and we can't see in it or through it. And so we begin to cause all these scenes and thoughts in our head. And we, that's when fear comes. Did you remember how the disciples <laughs> in the boat with Jesus reacted to the storm on the Sea of Galilee? Mark tells us that, that Jesus had been teaching parables most of the day. And, and, and while we got to remember he's, he's still fully God, he also was a man who's subject to some of the same physical limitations that we face. How many get tired? You want to close your eyes, especially when the pastor's preaching. Okay. He was, he was, but, but Jesus was tired. So as he climbed into the, the boat, he, he goes back to the back, and before he does, he said to them before getting on there, but he said, let us go over to the other side. I'll show you that in a second. But Mark wrote this. He said, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep, and I love this, on a cushion. I agree with him. I don't like falling asleep on hard places. I want a cushion. I'm going to, and that, that meant he got himself comfortable. He, 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 he. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to have the Son of God asleep in your boat? The, these guys forgot the power of the man who was with them. And what do they do? They panic. And the moment they felt extremely threatened, what do they become? Fearful. And again, we've said it before, these are seasoned fishermen. They know what it's like to be in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's a byproduct. And they, 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 but they also knew that this, this is no ordinary storm. Listen, some of the storms that are impacting you will be greater than anything you can ever imagine. And, and, and I believe that, that, that we'll want to cry out like the disciples, don't you care that I'm perishing? Don't you care about what I'm going? Where are you, God? God does care. Hello? God does care. And he wants us to learn how to respond when it comes. His plan is not for us to crumble with all these feelings of anxiety and turmoil. Instead, he wants us to know that he is aware of what is taking place. He has our very best in mind. Oh, yes, he does. And though troubles come, he promises to bring out good in each one. Boy, that's a tough one but it's about faith through it. Jesus wanted them to know that he was aware of their circumstances. 
And the same is true when it comes to our lives. Listen, he wanted them to come to him in faith, not in fear. I can't stress that any, any, any huger. They, they wanted him to come to him in faith, not in fear. <clears throat> so Mark continues. He, he says, uh, they, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? How, how many times have each of us wanted to cry out, God, don't you care that I'm hurting, that I'm afraid? You know, the storm's raging around you, and, and, and you may have lost your job or just received news about your health. Your heart, I, I know what, your heart, you know, what it's like for your heart to be palpitating fast at the thought of things happening around you, and, and you don't know what it is that you're going to do. But I'm here to tell you, God does. And though it may seem that he is, what, silent? How many know what it's like for God to be silent? Okay, two of you. Not bad. The rest of you, I'm impressed. But when he, you know, he's silent, it's like he's asleep. But I can tell you he's not. It's what the psalmist assured us. He who keeps you will not slumber. Hello? That's why I want to tell you, you can trust him to keep you steady when the storms of life blow hard against you. Listen, victory over fear comes when you learn to focus on the Savior and his instructions to you. Victory over fear comes when you learn to focus on him. You remember again, before the journey, Jesus told them, he says that we're going over to the other side of the lake. He had a destination in mind. And he also had a principle that he wanted them to learn and follow. Look, Jesus may have gone to sleep, but he also allowed the storm to grow in a magnitude so that the men would admit that their only hope was in him. And once they did this, he stood up and commanded the winds and commanded the waves to hush and to be still. How many know he'll do that for us? Yeah, you know, God, I know what it feels like for it to not happen, but at the same time, it does happen. It, understand, David wrote, even though I, what, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus told his, soldiers, his, his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Look, remember what God instructed Joshua? Be strong and be courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land. Words such as, but, and what if, don't work with statements like we just heard. Joshua knew better than to argue with God. Oh, hello, somebody. Ever try that, arguing with God? think he'd let me win sometime or other. But, but Joshua knew better. And, and 40 years earlier, he had seen the results 
of negative reasoning, doubtful thinking, and fearful projections. He learned that at the core of fear is this, a lack of faith in God, a lack of trust in His provision, ignorance of His presence. That's a big one. Dismissal of His eternal protection. Overworking, overlooking, not overworking, overlooking of his unconditional love. These are huge, friend. These are huge. When you ignore the sovereignty and the awesome potential uh, provisional care of, of God, you're going to end up struggling with fear. I'll guarantee it. You, you, you might ask, did, did God know I was going to get fired at work? And the answer to that is, yeah, he did. Then the question shifts. Well, why didn't he do something to stop that from happening? We can never forget a simple truth. And that is the trouble comes from time to time and changes to the landscapes of our lives. Guess what? God never changes. I mean, if there's one thing living in Northeast Ohio has taught us, it's you stick around for 15 minutes and the weather what? Changes. Life is going to change. Circumstances are going to happen. Things are going to take place. But God never changes. He is faithful. And we can, we can leave the thought of fear literally behind because we know He is in control. He is with us. He is beside us and in us through the presence of of the Holy Spirit. He has promised to guide us. He has promised to lead us and to bring us through one trial after another. The prophet Isaiah again wrote, the Lord will continue to guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What's that old, old chorus we used to sing years ago when Curly was a pup? Drinking at springs of living water. Happy now am I. My soul is satisfied. Drinking at the springs of living water. Bountiful supply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is he singing? What is that? That's an old song. And you know why I know it? I feel the love in this place. A spring of water whose waters do not fail. Let me say this. We struggle with fear because we allow our imaginations to go places that God never intended us to visit. How true is that statement? Most of the events that we fear, what? Never come true. Our fears are unfounded. And, and while we worry about, you know, impending failure, death, destruction, Satan is smiling because he knows he's got our full attention. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Whatever has your attention has you. Our imagination is one of the most powerful gifts 
that God has given us. Hey, just stop thinking about it. Every bridge, building, every great structure that has ever been designed began with a thought in somebody's imagination. Look, the gift of God's salvation is not earned. It's not merited. So many times I run into people with these self-images. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I met one lady one time that just could not, she knew that she wasn't saved. She had lost her salvation. God was, you know, all this. And, and she, you know, she just, she constantly lived in fear. She couldn't wrap her head around God's grace or receive it into her life. And as a result, she's always looking at her. Look, there are so many people with a, a, a self-image of failure and, and, and unworthy and messed up. And this happens and that happens because of this in my life. And that, but friend, understand something. It's not about you. It is a gift of grace, one that none of us deserve, but one that is freely given by God to those simply who believe in His Son. You'll be surprised, and I believe encouraged, to learn that regardless of, of your past or any number of self-esteem roadblocks, God is interested only in your love and your devotion. He does not love you based on anything you have or have not done. He, his love is based on one thing. His son's death on Calvary. That, that was where the penalty to our transgressions was paid and where sin's power over our lives was shattered. You, you can say no, friend. You can say no to defeating thoughts that that'll even lead you to low self-esteem because God is the one who works through you. Your responsibility, this is it. It is to say yes to Him. Yes to what He's done. Yes to what He's got. Yes to what He's wanting to do and to follow Him. Look, let me just put this in a nutshell as I can. An obvious outcome of fear is a divided mind. The focus of our thoughts end up no longer being set on Christ. It's, it's on the scenario, the situation. The, it, it, it's the fear that we have. We play it out in our heads. We take it down to the nth degree. It divides our mind. Instead, friend, It is fragmented by, by thoughts of our... We find it hard to concentrate, concentrate on God and, and, and what He has become, what He's called, what He's shown us, what He's revealed to Look, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there very simply. The enemy plays with us to the point where fear divides our heads. There's another thing called, as a result, <laughs> that fear shouts procrastination. Say that word with me, procrastination. See, you just procrastinated in saying it. Say it with me again, procrastinating. Procrastination is another consequence of fear. People become afraid of doing or, or not doing something right. 
and so forth. And as a result of that, they put it off. And they put off doing, they come to it, they put off doing anything at all. That's why I love Paul's words, because they're right on the money. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hello. It's our what? It's our ten-fingered prayer. You don't have to say it, just, just remind yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look, let me wrap this up this morning. Negative comments can leave us feeling fearful, unable to achieve even the simplest task. The way to move past thoughts that seek to paralyze you with fear doubt and discouragement is to keep your eyes on Christ. In essence, fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith. Do you have Hebrews there? Did I miss that? Yeah, I did. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God keep your eyes on him friend keep your eyes the, the, the only way you're going to move past those thoughts that paralyze you with fear, doubt, and discouragement is to keep your eyes on Christ. Or how about this one? God is not the author of what? He has not given us a spirit of fear. No way, shape, size, or form. God's not the author of it. What he is the author of, what he has given us, power, Love and the sound mind. God is not the author of fear. The American Standard Version says timidity. There's another version that interprets it as cowardness. God is not the author of cowardness. He's not the author of being intimidated. He is not the author but of dunamis, power, agape, unconditional love, and a sound mind that comes from knowing truth, friend. Your mind's not going to be so sound when it doesn't know what he has intended for you to know. When you bypass his word all the time and don't know anything that's in it, you're going to end up being what? Intimidated. You're going to be afraid. You're going to find yourself in a place where your mind is not sound. So it begins to play this scenario, that scenario. You project yourself out there and try to figure out how 
You're going to work it out out here based on what you got there, and you're going to go down. You know you're going to fail in front of everybody, and, and, and your image of yourself is nothing but a lower than dirt. You know what I'm saying? That's where he's got you down to, and so you don't feel like you can accomplish or be anything, or you've got all these limitations and all these problems, or, or, or you just got one thing after another. The enemy comes up, and you need to know as a child of God, you can turn to the enemy and say, shut up. Because this isn't from God. Sorry. But the opposite of fear is faith. We don't come to God in fear. We come to God in faith. And we are reminded that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. The way to move past thoughts that seek to paralyze you, bring doubts and discouragement 